Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading. All right, welcome along. Is it just me? I'm a bit fed up with life down here on planet Earth, as wondrous as it is. Maybe there's more to discover. Let's find out and explore in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name's Dan. Thank you for being there. This is the show where we uncover all of those science secrets lurking across the universe. We uncover everything through galaxies, through solar systems, around moons, under the oceans, through jungles. We will find it all. This week, we're hearing about a brand new book that shows how STEM can explain all of the wonders of space. Just with one simple tea bag, you um, cut the top of it off and you release all the tea leaves out. If you stand that up on a plate and with some adult supervision, light the top of it, you'll suddenly see it transform into a rocket and travel up into the air. Also staying in space, we'll take a trip to Deep Space High to hear about drilling on Mars. Now, one of the most important features of the ExoMars rover is its drill. Anyone know why? So we can put up some shelves. <laughs> this drill pours downwards, not into walls, you daft earthling. And I've got your questions to answer as always this week. They are brilliant doozies, stuff on earthquakes and poisonous frogs. It's all on the way in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news. NASA, the American Space Agency, have teamed up with Jeff Bezos's space company to try and get to the moon. Jeff Bezos made the company Amazon that you can buy loads through online. He also runs a space crew called Blue Origin. His team will try and make a landing craft to take crew down to the moon from the rockets up in space within the next few years. NASA are already working with Elon Musk and his company SpaceX, so that's now two billionaires on board. It's amazing as the way we travel through space changes. It's not just NASA now. You've got commercial airlines, people with money that are trying to get it up there. And it's brilliant that both teams are working together, I think, to explore more of the universe. Also, water supplies in England have apologised for the amount of sewage they've pumped into the seas and rivers. They're ready to spend £10 billion cleaning it up. Sometimes companies are allowed to spill sewage into open water if the drainage is overflowed after rain to stop flooding. But campaigners have said that these spills are happening too often. They've been pushing companies to do something. Now the companies have promised to start. I think this is a good start, but probably more can be done. We're yet to see how the money will be spent, where it's coming from, and even if it will live up to their promise. So it's a good start, but there's a lot more to do. And finally, a space company from Wales has developed a unique way to protect satellites. Listen to this. Spaceforge is the company. They've invented a heat shield which will blast off with satellites into space. And then it'll unfurl a bit like a shuttlecock or or an umbrella, really, almost with feathers fanning around it. And that means the satellites can fall into it when they're done, drop right into it, and they can be protected as they fall back to Earth. 
Now this is good because there are a lot of satellites unused and floating around space, but now we're thinking of bringing them back to reuse materials. We're trying to be as green as we can while we're traveling into space, which is usually a a process that takes a lot of energy. So thinking of ways that we can keep it clean and reuse and recycle is a brilliant idea. And this new shuttlecock invention from Space Forge will hopefully help that. Let's spin the big wheel then and get ready for another episode of the A to Z of engineering. Uh, For the last few weeks, I hope you've been loving this. We've been exploring the A to Z of engineering. Engineering is how things are made, who made them, why they've been invented, how they help us and the world still today. And to do that, we head to Engineer Academy. Uh, With our best mate, our engineering expert, Engers, we work right the way through the alphabet from A through to Z, And to find out what letter we're getting this week, let's leave it to Engers to spin the wheel. Hello and welcome to another Engineering Academy, where we're exploring an A to Z of everything engineering. Let's spin the wheel and see where we're engineering today. Over to Engers to spin the wheel. It's X and X is for X-rays. As you might know, X-rays are used to create pictures of things that are otherwise hard to see. When you think of X-rays, you probably think of hospitals, right? They're used there to diagnose injuries and illness. For many patients, their treatment, well-being and even their lives depend on these imaging results, making the development and maintenance of these instruments very important. Here's Engers to reveal more. Specialist engineers install, maintain and calibrate diagnostic imaging equipment, which as well as X-ray includes MRI and CT equipment, arthroscopic surgical imaging devices, radiology equipment and much more. It's not a job without challenges. X-ray imaging comes with a radiation exposure risk factor. Whilst the amount of radiation released by each X-ray is minute, if you're working around these machines for years, well, it all adds up. Modern technology has, however, significantly reduced the amount of exposure since the technology was introduced in 1895. Some engineers work in research to develop new imaging techniques and technologies which allow for less invasive diagnostic and treatment procedures, whilst providing more useful information and insight into a patient's condition. And these new technologies aren't found just in hospitals. We're at the airport. When we travel on planes, our luggage is x-rayed to make sure there isn't anything inside that's dangerous or prohibited. There is currently a programme to upgrade UK scanners to CT technology. This will enable more accurate 3D images and make it quicker to scan bags. After all, no one likes standing in a queue. X-rays and CT scans are only for the luggage, though. People are scanned mostly using metal detectors. And if you've been on holiday by ferry or Eurotunnel, you might have seen some strange equipment around the terminals. Some of these are X-ray machines that scan the inside of lorries, containers and other vehicles, again to check that there's no dangerous items inside. They can also check to see if any people are inside who might be smuggled across the border. All these imaging technologies have been designed and built by engineers and need careful maintenance to give accurate results, quickly and safely, to cope with the huge number of passengers and vehicles travelling. Another place where you find X-ray machines is in manufacturing. X-rays help test materials, including metal, plastic and composites, to look for any defects. For example, take a boiler drum. It's made of one and a half inch steel plates which are welded together. It's good to check the welding seams to make sure there's no defects or otherwise... 
Now it's easy to examine the outside of the drum, but inside? That's where X-ray equipment comes in. It can check the inside and make sure everything is shipshape. A lot of new technology, including our phones, uses print circuit boards for mounting integrated circuits and chips. These circuits are tiny and hard to see, and it's hard to inspect them by the eye. Luckily, X-ray inspection makes the job easy, fast and efficient, and can detect errors even in multi-layers. Imaging using X-rays is an exciting branch of engineering, with new advances making more scientific discoveries possible. Engineers are already working on the future of X-ray science, looking for ways that make us better off and more secure. This includes producing X-ray machinery, which uses much higher resolution detector technology to capture more accurate and detailed images and better results for us all. Often making advances like these means that engineers from different disciplines work together. First up, so X-rays help us see into and through objects, whether it's a human body or a suitcase or even a truck. But how does an X-ray work anyway? Let's go back to basics. Have you ever made a shadow animal on the wall in the dark using your hands and a torch? The shadow is there because the light has been blocked by your hand. If you hold the torch against your palm, some of the light might shine through your skin, but it won't be very bright. This is because normal light waves don't have enough energy to push through solid objects. X-rays are a kind of light which is very energetic. It can pass through a greater number of solid objects only being stopped by hard things like bones or metal. The light that has travelled all the way through will be captured on an image as grey, and the solid images will be white, sort of the opposite of your shadow animal, but the same principle. Hi, my name's Chris Pearman. I'm the Gatwick Engineering Compliance Manager for Specialist Systems and I look after all of the passenger security screening equipment at Gatwick Airport. When you go through an airport, any baggage that you take onto the plane with you has to be screened and we use x-rays to screen those bags. So that is you put your bag that's going onto the plane into a tray that goes through an x-ray which takes an image of your item and sends it to a security officer who then looks at that image to determine if there are any threat items in that bag. That could be anything that's an explosive material, it could be a weapon of some sort, or it could be even a liquid above a certain level which you're not allowed to take with you. X-rays are used because it makes the searching of bags a lot easier. You don't have to open every bag. You can look at the X-ray image, see what's inside the bag and determine if there are any threat items without exposing yourself or anybody else to any threats that are inside that bag. Currently, Gatwick or all airports use conventional x-rays to view your bag. So that is your bag goes through an x-ray machine and it takes two images of your bag. It takes a side view of your bag and a top view of your bag, which is very limiting to what they can actually see inside it. And this means that you have to take all of your large electricals out of your bag and any liquids out of your bag. But there have been changes to regulations and changes in technology. So we now have to replace 
replace all of our x-ray machines with CT x-ray machines. So instead of getting just a side and a top view of your tray, it gets a three-dimensional view of your tray and your bag so you can see everything, even if it's hidden behind another device. This means that when you go through an airport, you won't have to take your laptop and your iPad out of your bag and put it into a separate tray. You won't have to take your liquids out. You won't have to be limited to less than 100 mil of liquids. You can take larger liquids and leave everything in your bag because with this 3D image, the operator can then spin the tray around uh, virtually to look behind everything, look underneath everything. And also, because it's a 3D image, the X-ray can run a detection algorithm looking for materials that it triggers the its threat list. So it would highlight to the screener that there's a possibly a threat item in that bag and it would highlight that to the operator, which would enable them to then view it, assess it, and then possibly reject your bag and then it would be searched. We at Gatwick employ security officers that are trained to assess the images that are sent to them to look for small items to assess if it's a threat or not. So those are the security assessors, but we also have our own teams of engineers that work on these machines and they're all trained engineers and are approved to do all of the maintenance. That'll be planned maintenance and reactive maintenance if things go wrong. An x-ray machine is basically a big light bulb shining x-rays through the item in the tray to see what's inside it and the x-ray generators do go wrong and they're large heavy pieces of equipment that have to be swapped out if they go wrong and that's all done by our in-house teams that maintain these equipment. My route into engineering was via an apprenticeship. I, I've worked at Gatwick for 14 years now. I used to work for a company that made flight control systems for military aircraft. And I started there and did an apprenticeship for four years, went on to become a test engineer, went into management. And then 14 years ago, I changed roles and got a job at Gatwick Airport. And I used to manage the team that did the daily maintenance on the x-ray equipment around the airport uh, but now I've moved on to a, a different role so I look at not only the way we use the equipment at the airport but new future technologies at the airport. I've always been very interested in engineering. When I was a child, I always used to um, be taking things apart, looking at way things worked, asking lots of questions around why things were done the way they were done. So, you know, from an early age, it was always a drive for me to do engineering and electronics. Anybody looking at engineering, it is a great job to do. There are lots of different things in engineering. There's chemical engineering, there's electrical engineering, there's mechanical engineering. So there's a wide range of roles based in engineering. But one of those things that's the same in any of these um, engineering roles is it's that bit about questioning. Everybody's always questioning why do things work how do things work? Why do we do things that way? So if you've got an inquiring mind, it's it's a really, really good role and a very interesting role to do. X-rays is, is a great role or a great um, field to be in because it's 
it's always changing. There's always major advancements. There's so many different uses for x-rays out there. There's the medical side. There's the security side. There's the manufacturing side, looking at you know joints and the way things are put together. So it is a, it sounds like a very small, narrow field, but it touches into all forms of engineering. That's our take on the letter X. It's been excellent. If you'd like to check out some other types of engineering, why not check out Kite or Knowledge Engineering? Engineer Academy, created with support from the Royal Academy of Engineering. If you would like to find out more about the A to Z, visit funkidslive.com slash engineer. All right, then, it's time for your questions. My favourite part of the show really is. I know I love saying it because I love hearing your questions, not just hearing the questions, but hearing you ask the questions. If you've got anything sciencey that you need answered, remember, just get to the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com where we've got a big record button on the Science Weekly page and drop it to me as a voice note. Let me know your name and tell me your question and I will do all that science digging so I can find out more for you. First up this week, what we got? Hi, Dan. How does a poisonous frog sting someone? Shunbeer, thank you so much for this. How does a poisonous frog sting someone? Well, before we get into frogs properly, what's really interesting is the difference between poisonous and venomous. Similar, but they don't mean the same thing. Did you know that? If you bite something and you get ill, that's poisonous. If something bites you and you get ill, that's venomous. See the difference? Now, most frogs are poisonous. They don't really sting, but they sweat a coat of toxic chemicals around their body. It's a way of warding off predators. If a predator eats them, they'll get sick and maybe they'll die. And many poisonous frogs are brightly coloured. It's almost a warning saying, look, I'm really bright. Don't eat me. We'll both probably die. In fact, one of the earliest dangerous stands we had on this entire show way back was all about the poison dart frog. Uh, Have a listen. Go back and find it. Uh, And that's a creature that sweats this toxic slime. But there is one frog, Bruno's cask-headed frog, that's pretty much the only venomous one that we know about. It's got this head that looks like a helmet. It's thick, it's wide, it's got spikes all along its lips, and it rams its head into a predator, using its lips to inject the toxic venom. Work out what that means. Yeah, it means this creature, this frog, the only venomous one we know gives other animals a deadly kiss. So that's how poisonous frogs sting someone. They don't really sting. Most of them, they just sweat out this toxic and wait and keep their fingers or fins or webs crossed that they don't get eaten. What a question, eh? Thank you, Shunbeer. Let's get on another one. My name is Sasha and I'm five years old. And my question is, what's the biggest earthquake in the whole entire world? Thanks for this. What's the biggest earthquake in the world? The largest earthquake ever recorded happened in Chile, in South America, actually in the south of Chile, in South America, in a place called Valdivia back in 1960. It had a magnitude of 9.5 on the Richter scale, and that's the scale that they use to measure the energy of an earthquake and the destruction that they cause. The scale of this earthquake meant a huge wave swept across the Pacific Ocean, hitting islands over a day later. 
that's when different places thousands of miles away were still feeling the effects of this enormous earthquake william thank you for the question brilliant ones covered this week if you've got anything that you want answered on the show or if you want it answered in our mega question special that we do every month when you're a subscriber to fun kids podcast plus leave it as a recording for me by pressing the button on the Science Weekly page at funkidslive.com or you can drop it as a voice note to me on the free Fun Kids app. Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! Let's get into this week's Dangerous Down, where we look at some of the most mean, wicked, cruel, amazing things around the universe... And we're carrying on our look at creatures with strange, incredible defence mechanisms. Ways they get themselves out of danger when a predator is nearby. And this week, we're diving under the ocean. So hold your breath and maybe hold your nose too. You'll hear why. And we're learning all about the hagfish. Now let's get this out of the way. The hagfish isn't a looker. They are thin and sleek. They look a bit like an eel that slithers around the ocean. They're not great to look at. They're jawless. They're they're similar to hagfish that have been around for 300 million years. It's incredible how long these creatures have carried on without much evolution. They're about a metre long. They can be pink and blue-grey. And here's what's amazing. When they feel threatened, they get slimy. When a predator is nearby, they squeeze and sweat out a slime. It mixes with the water and makes a big slimy cloud in the ocean which traps or suffocates the predator. That means even if the predator somehow manages to swallow the hagfish, it'll have also gulped down loads of slime which it needs to get out and bring up so the predator immediately vomits the hagfish back up and spits it out unharmed. That's amazing but there is a problem. The hagfish doesn't have unlimited slime. It takes about three weeks to refill it, like your health on a video game or something. So if the predator manages to make it through the first blast of slime, the hagfish has nowhere left to turn. It needs to slither and swim away pretty quickly and hope it's still got its life with it. And all that amazingness, the slime, the way it sweats out means that this hagfish needs to go straight on our dangerous stand list. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. This week we're looking out of this world again, chatting to space expert Izzy Clark, who is a brand new book out. It's in the Everyday STEM series. This one, well, it's all about space, isn't it, Izzy? Thank you for being there. Hiya, Dan. How's it going? Yeah, very, very well. So Everyday STEM, science, tech, uh, engineering and maths. How important is it? Because we learn about STEM at school. How important is it when we think about space? I think it's really important. Um, I think we can take it for granted just how much around us can be explained 
by space or by technology, maths, all of that. So it, you know, I re- I think it's so important. And once you stop and start looking around you, you'll suddenly start to realize it's everywhere. It can explain so much. And now there's so much with STEM and with space, but you've managed to like squeeze it all down into this book. How on earth did you start figuring out what you wanted to talk about? Oh, I mean, how how the heck do you try and cram all of space into one book? Um, so I essentially went through all of the different topics that I thought were really important and also really exciting because, um, you know, whether we're talking about how our telly works or how we know what the weather's up to, all of that can be explained thanks to space science. So um, that was basically the initial approach. And then I also really want people to be able to look at this book and, you know, get some hands on, get hands on when it comes to exploring and getting curious about space. So there's some stargazing tips in there. There's, you know, how best to look at the moon. What can you see on the moon um, just from your garden or if you're looking out your window? So uh, lots of hopefully useful try at home tips as well. And let's talk about some of those try at home tips, because uh, I've spoken to authors who have written about space before that take us into the night sky, but none that bring it down into our well kitchen, really, as well as this one does. Do you remember all about rocket tea? Tell us about this experiment that you want us to take on. Oh my goodness, I love this experiment. If This is my go-to um, for anyone who, if it's a rainy day and you don't know what to do, this is the thing that will keep you endlessly entertained and you will get through a lot of tea bags. Um, so what you need to do, it's an experiment where just with one simple tea bag, you um, cut the top of it off and you release all the tea leaves out. Um, you, If you stand that up on a plate and with some adult supervision, light the top of it, you'll suddenly see it transform into a rocket and travel up into the air. Um, you know, I've, I've, when I was writing this book, I practiced this one so many, for so many hours just because it's a lot of fun. <laughs> now, there's a lot of science that goes on with this. So we make the tea bag into like a cylinder, almost like a mini rocket that we plop down on the plate. We light the top. Why does it travel upwards, Izzy? What's going on with hot and cold air? So what happens is you're turning your tea bag into a tube, essentially. And what that does, it creates a current of hot air that moves upwards. So as the hot air moves up, cold air just rushes in to replace it. Um, And that is something that we called a convection current. And essentially, it gives it that push. It's a force that then drives this tea bag up into the air and uh, take off a little bit like a rocket. Also in the book, there's so many science geniuses and and icons that are in there some that we uh, have known about some that we maybe don't know they're in little squares in the bottom corners Um, just tell us about your favorite from what you remember Izzy oh there's there's so many um I think one of them has to be Mae Jemison. So she is an astronaut um and she I think has been so iconic Uh, for so many reasons. Not only is she an astronaut, she's an engineer, a doctor. um, And, you know, she started at university at the age of 16. So I just think she's a bit 
of a superstar. And in 1992, Jemison actually became the first black woman to go into space. Um, and she was on board uh, the space shuttle, which was called Endeavour. Um, I think she's brilliant. Uh, but there's so many wonderful people that we really want to shout about in this book as well. So yeah, I love it. Yeah, we learn about May. We learn about well, Stephen Hawking, obviously. You've got William and Caroline Herschel and Copernicus is in I there. I mean, we- all the biggies, they're in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just... Now, in the last, well, couple of years or so, with the James Webb Telescope and with the space race and commercial uh, companies now travelling up to space with uh, SpaceX and Mm. Blue Orbit, it must be hard trying to capture that in a book like this to make sure it's not going to go out of date in a year or so how do you possibly know what's coming in the future well that's the thing it's really hard but you know whilst space missions and their aims are constantly changing things like rocket science you know it uses some certain fundamentals that you know rockets are always going to work in one way we talk about different types of combustion engines you know we're now starting to see them as returning rockets, which yes, that is very new. But a lot of that is based on science that we've learned and molded and changed over the years. So we're sort of focusing on the core that everyone can learn the basics. And you know, you never know what that might lead to in the future. Um, you know, as we study science, and we make those changes. And, and, and that's what science is all about. It's all about curiosity. And, you know, knowing what we've done, knowing what how to do what we've done previously, but also being daring enough to push it and try something new and see if we can advance, you know, space science, rocket science, anything like that a little bit further. And with these books, it's not just your words, it's not just the stories you're telling, the science you're exploring, but the, the pictures are always so stunning, uh, so stunning in the Everyday STEM series. Just just tell us about, about how, how stunning yours looks. I was honestly speechless when I saw it for the first time. So the illustrator is someone called James Lancet. And he has made this the most colourful guide to space that I think I've ever seen. Um, We've got some returning characters who I love deeply, one of them being a space chicken, which I think is a very important character throughout the book. But we also wanted to make it as accurate as possible so we've got some pictures from yes it's really highly illustrated and it it goes through how science comes back down to earth we've got a guide through space where you have like the smaller rocky planets versus the massive gas giants but i think it's really important that it looks incredible but we've got actual pictures from space in there as well, whether that's being taken by the James Webb Space Telescope, which only came out, you know, last year and started operating last year, to one of the first ever pictures taken of someone's footprint on the moon. So it's a mixture of incredible illustrations and also beautiful space pictures as well. Let's just talk about the future again. You, you're, uh, you know, a science genius. You're all about space. And <laughs> as it is changing and as we're learning new things, what are you most excited about perhaps finding out in the next 10 minutes when we look out to space? I know that we're planning to get to the moon, but let's talk discoveries. What do you really want to know? Oh, do you know what? I would love to see a mission going to Neptune. It's one of, it's the furthest planet out there. And, you know, we just don't know really that much about it. A mission has never been there. So I would love to know what is going on on that mysterious planet so uh, we can find out a little bit more about it. 
Now, if you're into your science and your space and you've read a lot of books before, or if you're just starting out, I, I promise there is so much in this book that will have you amazed. It's laid out beautifully. And, and as uh, Izzy has said, thanks to the stunning work of James Lancet, it looks spectacular. <laughs> Izzy Clark, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Last up this week, let's have a quick trip to deep space high. This is the smartest school in the solar system. Do you know how lucky we are? We get to have lessons by Professor Polestar. Everyone else has to go to regular school, but we take a quick trip up through the solar system. Uh, And in our series with Deep Space High, we have been looking at Mars, how they make a Mars rover, how they send it down on the red planet, what they're looking for. This week, Professor Pulsar is teaching us and the class all about why digging deep is necessary to find signs of life on Mars. Deep Space High, Destination Mars. Right, you lot. Now, one of the most important features of the ExoMars rover is its drill. Anyone know why? So we can put up some shelves. <laughs> this drill bores downwards, not into walls, you daft earthling. Is it to build things on the surface? No, I'll give you a clue. Can you remember what the primary purpose of the ExoMars rover is? To find the existence of the fabled Mars subsonic skate park and swimming pool? Which doesn't exist. That is not the primary mission objective, Quark. Or indeed any objective. The primary purpose is to look for evidence of life, past or present. Thank you, Stats. Now we're getting somewhere. As we've seen, robots on Mars will face all sorts of challenges, from landing to surviving extremes of temperature and getting around, all before it's taken a single sample. But taking samples from the surface is unlikely to reveal any great results. And here's a clue why. Water? But I thought finding water was a good thing. Isn't that something that's often evidence of living organisms? Well, it can be. Most of the water on Mars is frozen and the ice on the surface has a type of salt in it which is strong enough to kill most types of life. So I guess there's no point taking a sample from the top layer of soil. Very little point at all if you're looking for organisms. Thing is, even if you dig a bit deeper, you're still not likely to find anything. Anyone know why? Is it too cold for anything to survive? That's a good idea. But many organisms cope just fine with the cold. It's more to do with this. Here's a clue. The sun. UV radiation from the sun doesn't just give you a suntan. It can kill off living things, especially somewhere like Mars where the atmosphere is so thin. That and another type of radiation called ionising radiation do a really good job of killing off anything that's in the soil, down to a level of 1.5 metres, presuming anything was there to start with. So that's why they need to drill. Exactly. The ExoMars rover will be equipped with a drill that's able to take samples up to two metres below the surface, where they will have been protected from harsh solar radiation. The samples will be analysed on board the rover and the results sent to scientists on Earth. So the drill will get past all the radiated salty Earth to get to the good stuff. Why don't they make the drill even deeper? Like a mile deep. Imagine what they might find then. Um, Sam, look at the size of the rover. If it had a drill a mile long, it would have to be the size of a dinosaur. Absolutely right, Stats. In the future, deeper drills may be practical, but the ExoMars rover is designed to be light and agile. 
It can't carry very heavy equipment or large drills. It would take too much power to get around. Hey, maybe they'll find dinosaurs under the surface. Well, I have to say that the chances of that are slightly higher than finding a skate park. Deep Space High, Destination Mars. Support from the UK Space Agency. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash space. And that is it for this week's episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. If you have enjoyed the podcast, uh, you can hear so many more of them, so many more different series and shows that we do. Wherever you get your shows, they're on the free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com. If you would like your question answered next week, make sure you get to our website or that app where you can send it to me as a voice note. Just make sure you leave your note. It's the best way to do it. Then you can be a star of the show. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on your DAB digital radio and at funkidslive.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!